Turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 7. Get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to begin reading in verse 15. Matthew chapter 7. The scripture says in verse 15, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. For he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now you notice that he said in verse 20, Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Well, I want to talk about the fruit of being saved. The fruit... Of being saved. I mean, you ought to expect certain things. And we're going to be talking about those things this morning. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the wonderful salvation that you offer to everyone through your Son. And it is only through your Son. God, I pray today that you'd make the message clear to every heart. For those that are lost, may they see their need for the Son of God. For those that are not showing a Christian's walk in their lifestyle, and yet they claim to be saved. I pray the Spirit of God would convict them today that there'd be a desire to get right with you. Have your way in every life, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, obviously, around this very religious country that we happen to live in, there are a lot of people that claim to be saved, that claim to have been born again, and yet their lives don't seem to back it up. You know, Jesus said in John 3, 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And uh, as someone mentioned to me the other day about at funerals, it's funny when anybody dies, we expect them all to go to heaven. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ made it known, by the way, in chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, that it's the broad way that leads to destruction. And many there be that go in thereat, and it's the narrow way. Few go in the narrow way. And of course, that narrow way is the Lord Jesus Christ alone. So not everyone that claims to be saved is saved. Not everyone that claims to be born again has been born again. And in this passage, Jesus specifically was teaching about false prophets. Uh, and he made this statement about false prophets. By their works ye, or by their fruits ye shall know them. It's really a very simple concept. Uh, notice, for instance, uh, we can tell what kind of tree is standing before us simply by inspecting the fruit. Now, I know some of you outdoor folks, you, you can tell what a tree is just by looking at them. I am not one of those people. All right, I, I was a ball player. That's what I did. I can tell the difference between a softball and a baseball. 
and a basketball, you name the balls volleyball, I can tell you which ones those are, but I can't tell you what tree that is that's sitting out there in the yard unless I get to look at the fruit of that tree. For instance, if I, if I come up to a tree and I see apples hang it, hanging from it, I, I've got a pretty good idea that that's an apple tree. I mean, it's just a natural conclusion that you would come to. I, you know, it doesn't have to be an apple tree. Somebody could have come in and taped a bunch of apples to the branches. Seems like a silly thing to do, but nevertheless, uh, that's what could have happened. But I'd assume it was an apple tree. I mean, if I walk up to a tree and I see some pears on that tree, I figure it's a pear tree. I, I may not be the brightest bulb in the pack. I get that, but... I think you'd agree with me that if there are pears hanging from the tree, more than likely that's what it is. I've been through Florida during the time when the oranges were getting ripe. And, and uh, you know, I just, uh, I, I think you can pretty much during that time spot which ones the orange trees are by those orange round balls that are hanging from it. Uh, or a peach tree. You find a bunch of peaches on a tree. Um, you're not going to find a, a pineapple tree. Pineapples don't grow on trees. Reminds me of the atheist who was bragging, thinking he was pretty smart, you know, about not believing in God. And he was, uh, he was sitting under a tree contemplating on things. He said, how silly this is. God takes a big old watermelon and he puts it on a flimsy little vine. And then he, and then he takes a, a, a little bitty acorn and he puts that on a big, big oak tree. He says, that, that's just proof there couldn't be a God. And about that time, an acorn fell from the tree and hit him in the head. And he said, boy, I'm sure glad that watermelons don't grow on trees. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if a tree has a sign on it, be careful, this is an apple tree. But you see pears, you'd say the sign lies, wouldn't you? Now, it's a simple concept given by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we obviously expect that to be true in the physical world. And yet it's also true in the spiritual world. And for some reason, we don't want it to be true in the spiritual world. Jesus said, by their fruit, ye shall know them. As a matter of fact, if you take a look over in John chapter 15 you find some more statements made by the Lord Jesus Christ concerning this matter of fruit. Notice beginning in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him the same, bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. James reminds us, matter of fact, turn over to James chapter 2 a moment. That's right after the book of Hebrews. In James chapter 2, beginning at verse 14, he says, What doth it profit a man? 
Now, what does the prophet, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? Now, it's important that you understand what he's saying. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith? You understand just because a person says they have faith, it doesn't mean they have faith. It's not a guarantee. Just be, Anybody can say anything. You can claim that you're a car. You can write forward on your forehead. You can make car sounds. But all that noise doesn't make you a car. No matter how much you affirm it to be so, it's easy to say all kinds of things. That doesn't make it so. Matter of fact, the Bible says we come forth from the womb speaking lies. He says in verse 15, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, notice the point, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? There's a whole lot of things that are said that don't profit anything. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Now notice, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. Saying you have faith doesn't really make it so that you have faith. How are you going to know if somebody has faith? There's going to be something to accompany it. Now it's not the works that make it faith. That just simply shows there is faith. For instance, if we were to go outside, we've got a nice little wooded area here in the back of our property. There are a number of trees there. If we go out there in the back and I say, man, uh, you know, the wind is really blowing today. And you look at the trees. The leaves are not moving. The branches are not moving. There's nothing going on in the trees. You're thinking, where did he get that? Now, it's not the leaves moving about that make it windy. But if it's windy, the leaves will move about. Do you understand that? To say it's windy and there's no product of that tells you the statement is a lie. A lot of people talk about being saved and yet by their fruits ye shall know them. In the passage in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, he says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now get this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we, we who've been saved by grace, should walk in them. Our works do not save us, but if you're saved, you're going to have some works. He says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Saying you have the real thing doesn't necessarily guarantee you have the real thing. If you have the real thing, there is going to be a difference in you. 
Now, you need to understand that about being saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans chapter 11 and, six and verse 6, If it be of grace, and is it no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. And if it be of works, and is it no more grace, otherwise work is no more works. Yeah, if you don't get saved by grace through works, but if you get saved by grace, there will be works. It is simply a product of that, just like that apple tree. It's going to eventually have apples on it. It won't have pears. It won't have oranges. It won't have peaches. It won't have anything else. You just know, man, when you see the fruit, that easily identifies it for you, especially if you don't know which tree is which by looking at it. Now, this is reality. Jesus said, by their fruits ye shall know them. So the scripture gives us some very plain statements. For instance, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We're justified freely. We are not justified when we start doing the works that a believer should do. We're justified by grace through faith, period. The works then become a product of that. Turn over for a moment to the book of Romans chapter 3. This is all introduction so far. I mean, the whole message isn't an introduction. It's just, you get it. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. In chapter 3 of the book of Romans, he is covering, first of all, up to verse 23, he is covering the situation of what man is. And then he gets into the matter of salvation. And I want you to notice, we'll begin at verse 22. Well, let's, no, let's start earlier than that. This is too good. Let's go down to verse 19. Verse 19, he says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. If you decide you're going to start being good, you're going to try to keep the law of God, that can't save you. It can't happen. Here and in Galatians chapter 3, he makes it very plain. But then he says, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. That word propitiation, it's a long word that simply means satisfaction or covering. That's the idea. Notice again, he says, um, uh, let's see, where, where did I just read? There it is, verse 25. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, that is a covering, or satisfaction, satisfies God through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which what? Doesn't say of him which worketh. It says of him which believeth. Salvation is found in believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. We well, don't you think a life ought to change? If they really put their faith and trust in Christ, it will. Yeah. 
That's God's guarantee. It will. Now, there are a lot of people, they pray a prayer. You never see anything change. You don't see anything that's any different than what it was before. Obviously, we don't know what they were trusting, but they weren't trusting Jesus, or there would be a difference. Again, this is still introduction. So he says, where is the boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by what? Faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing is it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Now, we could go through and read a number of other verses here in the book of Romans. I'm not going to take the time to do that. But again, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, in verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Salvation literally produces five outward manifestations of the inward reality of that salvation. In other words, the life will bear fruit. And what does the scripture say about that? For instance, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, he says, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you. It should be very clear in your own life that you really have it. If when I go through this, you say, well, I don't have those things in my life, then you don't have salvation. You need to get it settled. These things are the fruits. By their fruits, ye shall know them. First of all, there's the fruit of abiding in the word of God. Go over to the book of John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Now, Jesus gets into a confrontation with some of the Jewish religious leaders. And they're trying to deny that he is the son of God, all of that. But as Jesus speaks to them, a number of those Jews ended up believing. Now, you'll notice it says in verse 30, as he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, what a powerful statement. The word here, continue, literally means to abide or to stay. It is a word that is translated abide, as a matter of fact, in John chapter 15, and John chapter 1 as well, when Jesus calls his first disciples. Uh, the truth is, if you're saved, there's going to be a desire for the word like you never had before. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. There are just, this is just the truth. There becomes a hunger and thirst for the word. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, he says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. It was Job who said, I have esteemed the words of my, thy mouth more than thy necessary food. 
Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 17, he said, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. I remember, since I wasn't brought up in a church situation, that once, uh, well, a long time ago, I was before my salvation, a good 10 years before my salvation, uh, I was out at my grandma's farm uh, where she was at. My grandpa had already died, and I thought, you know, it'd be a good thing probably to read the Bible, and they happened to have a Bible on the bookshelf. Now, it's covered in dust. It was never taken out and read, anything like that. So I took it out, and I began to read it. Well, I had to make a decision. Where am I going to read it? I could have started in Genesis, but I didn't. I thought, well, the New Testament, since it's new, it would probably be easier to understand. I don't know why I reasoned it that way. But I began to read the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judah and his brethren. Judah begat Pharaoh and Zerah of Tamar. Pharaoh begat Ezra. Ezra begat Aram. Aram begat Aminadab. Aminadab begat Nahasim. Nahasim begat Salmon. Salmon... And I thought, man, what a dull book. Why on earth would I want to read this? They were just dead words to me. So I closed it up, put it back on the shelf. As far as I know, that was the last time I even looked at a Bible until we started going to that Baptist church so I could play softball with the church team. But after I got saved... Man, I wanted to read the book. And, you know, I've memorized all of chapter 1 of the, of the New Testament. I did it on purpose because as you read through there, there are so many truths that really stir up a believer. You learn a number of things in those first 18 verses. Matter of fact, the one very key thing that you learn is that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. He is the Messiah. If you can destroy the truth of Matthew chapter 1, you can close up your Bible and never worry about it again. But he is who he said he is. And even in the line of Christ, you've got four Gentiles in the line of Christ, four Gentile females. And one of the things you learn in that line of Christ, God saves sinners. Now, I could go through a whole lot more. I'm just simply saying that after I got saved, that word came alive to me. By the way, it's that way on on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And the Bible says, And they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there was added unto them 3,000 souls. Now, get this. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and of prayers steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. These people got saved, and now they wanted to know what God had to say in his word. Jesus had said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. So that when I did get saved, and I had a hunger and thirst for the word of God, in just the next few months, I read through the New Testament five times. And I'm not saying you had to read through the New Testament five times. I'm just saying there's going to be a love for the Word, a hunger for the Word, a desire for the Word, like you didn't have before you got born again. It's one of the reasons I don't understand believers not being faithful to the house of God. He says in the book of Proverbs, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayers shall be abomination. There just automatically is a desire for God's word. 
The Bible says in Acts 2.46, and they continuing daily in the temple. You know, you don't have to drag the saved to get them to hear the word of God. You got to drag the unsaved there, the saved, unless their sin that has corrupted their life. The saved want to hear God's word. That's a desire. So there's the fruit of abiding in the word of God. Secondly, there's the fruit of forsaking sin. I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 19. This is a story of Zacchaeus, that tax collector, that publican, who uh, I didn't say Republican, I said publican. Publican was a tax collector. That's the story of Zacchaeus. He was a short man. The Bible tells us that. And uh, the crowd had gathered around Jesus. Here he is walking through the area. Zacchaeus had to climb up into a tree so that he could see Jesus. And hopefully Jesus would see him. And Jesus did. It says in verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, Make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation... I restore him fourfold. Now, if you understood anything about the publicans, publicans, they work for the Roman government. And this is one of the things that made him so hated by the Jews because usually it was Jews that were the publicans or the tax collectors. And here's how they handled it. They were over a particular area and they were told by the Roman officials how much money they had to collect from the people in their area. So they figured out the amount of people that they had in that area, people who owned property and different things, and they worked out how much money they needed to collect to be able to give it to the Romans. They were responsible, the Romans, to collect enough to meet the tax. But here's the thing, they need to get paid too. And so they had to add into that amount how much they were able to take for themselves. And being just regular people, like anybody else, quite often they collected a whole lot more than, was, than they really had to collect because who doesn't like to get extra money? But they did it all under the official watch care of the Roman government. Now, he makes a statement here. He says, if I've, if I've taken anything from any man, I'll restore him fourfold. I'm just simply saying, here's what happens. Uh, you get saved. There are some things that you stop doing right away. You get honest. The thief doesn't go out and steal anymore. The drunkard isn't out there getting drunk anymore. That man or woman that very, has very loose morals or what, the, what our world today simply calls sexual active, God calls them harlots and whoremongers, they stop doing that when they get born again. You understand, now they recognize the evilness of the evil that they'd been doing. For instance, when I got saved, one of the things God cleaned up in my life right away was my foul mouth. I had a foul mouth. I never had to hear a message from anybody to tell me that cursing was wrong. God straightened up my mouth 
right away. Now, it may, may be any number of things that it could be in your own life. But in Acts chapter 19 and verse 19, this is exciting. Uh, the salvation comes to the people there at Ephesus. A whole bunch of them get saved, and there were a bunch of them that were involved in witchcraft. And so they brought, after they got saved, and we don't read anywhere where they necessarily had a message preached unto them about witchcraft, but they all came in with their articles of witchcraft, and they threw it in a big pile to be burned up. Well, why didn't they just sell it? They at least could have given that money to the Lord. God doesn't need that kind of money. He'd rather it just be burned up. If it's wrong for me, why would I then sell it to somebody else and make profit out of it? I mean, think about this now. I'm just simply saying a person gets saved, there's going to be a forsaking of sin. These people did it. I remember we had uh, several years ago, I was pastoring in Manchester, Tennessee, and uh, man got to preaching on rock music and the filth of rock music. After all, I'd been a rock and roll disc jockey. I knew about the filth of rock music back when it was innocent. It was never innocent. It was never innocent. It was wicked. And I preached said, folks, here's what we're going to do. I want you to bring in your eight-track tapes. Uh, eight-track tapes and, uh, and your records. They didn't have discs back then, you understand. When I said records, they understood exactly what it was. And parents, please let your kids know what a record was. But it doesn't make any difference, the avenue, whether it was a record, whether it was an eight-track tape or cassette tapes. That music is simply wicked, filthy, and wrong. And I said, we're going to have a record-breaking day, and I'm not talking about the number of people coming in. We're going to smash all that stuff up. And so we had, we had one person brought in probably 50 Elvis records. How many don't even know who Elvis was? Raise your hand. Anybody at all? Oh, good. All right. Well, you at least have a clue. Uh, and brought it. And man, I had so much fun just smashing that stuff. We had a big pile of just, just broken tapes and records and all of that there. Had one guy who was in the church. Oh, did he get hot? Because Elvis was king. Desecrated the king. Breaking up all his records that were brought in. And boy, he got mad. He stopped coming to church. By the way, sometime after that, after I moved down here to Madison, he moved down for totally different reasons. He moved down to Madison County. And um, I, I got a letter from him. He was in jail. Not that Elvis had anything to do with him going to jail. I recognize that. I understand that. But here's the thing, Matt, I don't care whether you liked him or not. He had a vulgar lifestyle. He may have proclaimed Jesus as king, but he didn't live like Jesus was king. He didn't live like Jesus was his king. Well, I'm just going to start preaching on Elvis here if I'm not careful. Oh, but he got angry and he decided he wasn't coming back anymore. Well, I'll tell you what, if it makes you angry for the preacher of the church to stand against sin, maybe you need to check out your salvation. Amen. Like I said, I didn't have to have somebody preach to me about those things to know that they were evil. 
Everything may not go at once when you get saved, but there's going to be some changes. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Know ye not the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were, past tense, such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You know, it just takes care of an awful lot. You get saved. That just takes care of an awful lot of ambiguity in the life of anybody. Suddenly, there are things that the world's trying to convince you is okay. You get saved. You're not going to have any questions about transgenderism. You're not going to have a question about whether or not homosexuality is an abomination to the God of the Bible. It is. You get saved. There's going to be, there's going to be a, a newfound understanding of the wickedness of mankind. Let me give you a third thing. I need to move on. There's the fruit of publicly professing Christ. The fruit of publicly professing Christ. Go back to the book of Matthew, first part of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. He says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house, publicly professing Christ. As a matter of fact, when I got saved, and I didn't know what I was supposed to do next when I finally got to talk to the pastor He shared with me from Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, how we're to publicly let people know that we've trusted Christ as Savior. And I was willing to do it. You know why? I got born again. Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, this is very important. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 11. He that believeth on him shall not be ashamed. You want people to know. I started telling I started telling the other announcers at the radio station where I was working that I had trusted Christ as Savior. I didn't do it because the preacher preached on it. I did it because, hey, I had become a new creature. I belonged to Jesus. It was different. Now, I may have been very ignorant in how I did it because I didn't know a lot of Bible when I got saved. Publicly professing Christ is a fruit of knowing him. You don't need a seminary degree for that. I find the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Now, here she was. She'd been married five times. She was married and she was living with a man that wasn't her husband. But she met Jesus. Verse 25, she said, I know Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. And when he has come, he'll tell us all things. And then Jesus said to her, I that speak unto thee am he. So she goes back into the city where they all knew her as a harlot, but it didn't stop her from saying, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? She hadn't gone off to Bible college. She hadn't read a soul winning program, but I'll tell you what, she got all that city to come out 
and see Jesus. And many believed on him because of her word. Others that came out, once meeting him, they believed on him too. I'm just simply saying there is fruit of publicly professing Christ as your Savior. So you've got the fruit of abiding in the word. You've got forsaking sin, publicly professing Christ. You got real private or quiet with me on that one. So let me just move ahead to the next one. I, I hate offending anybody. Then there's the fruit of loving the brethren. I want you to turn over to this. First John, first John chapter three. First John chapter three. I had a person that made a profession of faith. He didn't want to go to church. He made a profession of faith. He didn't want to go to church. He, he just didn't like being around Christians. Well, it made me wonder what kind of profession he had. Notice verse 14. He says, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we what? Love who? The brethren. We know we passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. You know, it's unnatural not to love your family. I have, I have a half-brother, I have a full brother, and I have two full sisters. And, and I love them. I love them. Don't always want to be around them necessarily, but I love them. And I'll do anything for them I can to help them. I love them. They ever make you mad? Yeah, they've made me mad. But I've not filed to be uh, out of the family. By the way, there are times other believers get me a little upset. But I still love them. And I want to be here for them. You know, some people, they don't understand the Christian life at all. They think it's all lovey-dovey, gooey-gooey, gooey. gooey. No, 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 it's not like that. Uh, the, the truth is, just in this crowd right here, there are some people that are easier to love than other people. But, but let me ask you, if you can only love them when they're easy to love, then what did you gain? When do people need your love most? When they're easy to love or when they're difficult to love? I know Christians, some of them get cranky. I know some Christians that are going through a real hard time and it may be hard for them to just smile right now. And when they look around, sometimes they've been hurt by other people. And it may be tough, but if we know we've passed from death unto life because we what? Love the brethren. There ought to be a desire to be with God's people, to see God's people. Oh, does your family ever irritate you? Yeah, well... Guess what? Your spiritual family will irritate you from time to time as well. There is the fruit of loving the brethren. Why are there some people, so many people, who claim a salvation experience, and yet they don't show any of the fruit? Perhaps because they never got the real thing. He said, preacher, what's the real thing? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Christ of God, the Son of God who took our place on Calvary, paid our sin debt, was buried, rose three days later from the dead, who said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
John 1, 12, but as many as received, I want you to get this, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. It didn't say, but as many as received it. You say, I received Christianity. That won't save you. You got to receive Christ. It's all about the person. You need him. For only in him, Peter preaching in Acts 4.12, declared, neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. He is the only way to heaven. In Acts chapter 16, when the Philippian jailer fell down before Paul and Silas, he cried, what must I do to be saved? They answered and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. You have to put your faith in him. Don't put it in your good works. You say, but preacher, I was in that church and I just had this, whoo, this feeling come over me. What is that? Show me anywhere in the Bible where a feeling has to come over you. It's not there. What do you have to do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you have to do. And in him and him alone, you get eternal life. Jesus is the key to it all. And I think that's why there are a lot of people, they decide they're going to start, they're going to change their ways. Well, changing your ways is good, but changing your ways won't take you to heaven. You've got to have Christ as your Savior. Everything's wrapped up in him. Who are you trusting? Who are you trusting? You got to get the key right. I'm going to tell you a story. I've told it before, but it's been a long time, and I, I enjoy the story. And uh, it gives you a truth about this. There were three men. This is several years ago now. Now, it's back, uh, I mean, we're not talking about going back to the 1800s. This would have been in the 20th century. Uh, but three men from out west, when I say out west, that would be the Midwest, John Newton and Lewis Weatherford and Samuel Preston, they went to New York and they, they had planned this trip for quite a while. Three buddies going to the big city of New York City when things were a lot better than what they are today. Boy, you're taking your life in your own hands to go there today. But they went to find, as they put it, the best that life has to offer. They had, uh, they had saved their money. They had taken a week off from work. They had a week to paint the town red and just enjoy their time there. I mean, they had money. Here they had a place of position. They had a great hotel that they had decided to stay in and culture. And they got off, they got off at the railroad station and they took a cab to the Ambassador Hotel, a 29-story hotel. The Ambassador Hotel. Man, they wanted the best. A TV, cushioned chairs, four big beds that were in it, all the luxuries. Matter of fact, they were on the top floor, which was the penthouse suite. They were just blowing everything for this week. They wanted the best. Well, after arranging their belongings in their room, they decided, let's, let's get started at this thing. So they went out to paint the town. On the way out, they left a key at the desk and went out for hours, just having a great time, seeing sights, doing everything. And it got pretty late in the evening. They were tired. They walked into the hotel, 
And uh, as they were walking in, the person behind the desk said to him, said, listen, we're just so sorry, but um, the, uh, the elevator's out. It's 29 floors to get up there. We can put you, and we get a couple rooms for you and put you on the first floor, but uh, I'm sorry, the elevator's out, and I don't think it's going to be fixed tonight. And they talked it over. They decided, well, man, you know, we've paid all this money. We have been looking forward to this. Man, that's like heaven up there. And we're tired, yes, but, man, we don't want to miss one night out of what we've paid for. We've looked forward to this too long. So they decided they were going to start the walk, and they got up the first floor. That went pretty well, second floor, third floor. By the fourth floor, I mean, they're already tired, and their legs are starting to hurt a little bit. And uh, fifth floor, sixth floor, seventh floor. Now they're having to stop and rest a little bit. But the longer that they rest, the longer it'd be before they got up to their room. So they got to the eighth floor and the ninth floor and the tenth. I can't believe this is 29 stories long. Why couldn't I pick out a smaller building? Uh, 11 stories, 12 stories. 13 now they're up to. Well, they don't have a 13th floor in those hotels, do they? So they got to skip one. That must have been a blessing. They were on 14. They still had 15 to go. Their legs are hurting. I mean, it is hard. They're almost trying to rest on one another to get up there. But after all, heaven's just 15 stories away. That's all. Uh, let's keep going. They got up to 16 and 17. And they're getting slower now, and it's hurting even more in 18 and, and 19 and 20. Whew. Man, this is difficult. They were already wore out from their night of just having a great time and all of that. Can I just go ahead and skip a few of these floors and you hurt with them for a while? Because I'm getting tired of the, of the climb. I think I'd have just rolled down the side. I think I'd have just fallen asleep right there on the stairs at this point. But the, finally, they got there. So they got up to the, the, the 29th floor, and they, they walk over to the door to their room. And Lewis reaches in his pocket. <laughs> he doesn't have the key. He looked over at Sam. He didn't have the key. Matter of fact, as they all checked, none of them had the key. It was still at the desk. 29 floors down. Just about an inch and a half away from what they considered heaven. Those nice plush beds. That special room just for them, the penthouse suite, and they can't get in. All that work, all that walking, not going to let them in the room. They can't get in. Elevator's not working. They miss the key. Now, here it is. To get to heaven, I don't care how much you're toiling, how hard it is you're trying to get there, you got to have the key, and the key is Jesus Christ. 
who said, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Do you have Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because only in him can you get there. There's no other way. Maybe perhaps there are a lot of people that don't have the fruits of salvation. It's simply because they don't have salvation. Some think, well, but I prayed that prayer on the back of a track. It's not faith in a prayer. It's faith in Jesus Christ that saves you. Please understand that. You can say the so-called right words on the back of a track, but if you're trusting something other than Jesus to get you to heaven, you still don't have the key. If you have him, then there are going to be some certain things that will be true about your life. If those things are missing, maybe you need to check out what you're really trusting to take you to heaven when you die. For by their fruits shall you know them. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, please deal with hearts this morning. You know who here has put all their faith and trust in Christ and who hasn't. I can't see their hearts. For some, though, perhaps they're the fruit of their life, fruit of salvation seems to be missing. So I pray, dear God, that they would allow the Spirit of God to check them out today. You said you've written these things so that we may know that we have eternal life. There might be some here today that they say, no, I know I'm saved. I know I've trusted Jesus, and that's all I'm trusting today. But the fruits aren't there. And maybe they need to get right about some things in their life that has choked out what should be the fruit of a life that knows Christ as Savior. Lord, have your way in every heart and life today, I pray in Jesus' name.